You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. Well, we tracked global markets lower today. We ended down 0.39%, a loss of 211 points on the JSC All Share Index. The top 40 giving back half a percent. Resources just under 0.6%, and industrials just under 0.9%. Uh, not so bad for the property index. Another good day. There seems to be something of a bottoming out happening there, up 2% on the day. One of the few sectors in the green, along with financials, 0.7% up. Wall Wall Street's main indices are muted at the open as investors are staying away from making big bets ahead of the first presidential debate while awaiting a reading on consumer confidence over there as well. And over in Europe, the broader Euro stock 600 fell 0.4%. Lots to talk about with uh, Ness and Nair, Senior Portfolio Manager at uh, Sassman Wealth and Carolyn Kremen, Portfolio Manager at AdviceWorks. Carolyn, kick us off. All quiet before the great debate, it seems. Yes, and it's going to be interesting to actually see how that goes. It seems as if the markets are pricing in a Biden victory, um, and they're hoping he's not going to swing too far to the left. However, if he appears as incoherent as he has been in several public appearances, um, you may get a very, very negative reaction to the market. And if Trump behaves, and that's a big if, mm. he is the better debater after all, it's going to give his campaign a boost. Just remember that both of these guys are trying to swing early voters, the postal votes. So, so I think they're going to go out quite aggressively. And uh, I think Trump in particular will have to come out swinging, Nesson, considering the uh, revelations in the New York Times about his tax affairs. A lot of those who support him over at, uh, at Fox News in particular are saying, well, there's nothing new in the New York Times story. And the conventional wisdom about presidential debates in the U.S. is that they don't move the race very much except when they do. <laughs> and there are instances when there have been big swinging uh, and turning points. I'm not so sure I see this year's debates as the big swing. I think those that support Trump are going to look past his tax issues and his business issues because he's touched on something in middle America uh, that runs far deeper than that. Yeah, absolutely. I think he, uh, yeah, a lot of people identify with him and even with his mistakes. You know, I think for a long time, um, the political elite, not just in America, all over the world, kind of lost touch with the people. And, uh, you know, I think people see him as somebody that they can identify with. That's the only thing, you know, that that in my mind, uh, you know, would warrant, uh, you know, uh, support for him. Because, I mean, his policies are, are, are not exactly, uh, you know, uh, friendly towards um, it's a, certainly foreign policy is not friendly towards other nations. If you look at what he's doing with China and Europe, and uh, you know he has come out and said that he'll put America first. Uh, but at the same time, you know, doesn't it remind you of 2016? Because Clinton was ahead in the polls, uh, and Clinton actually won the popular vote. You know, but with the electoral system in the in the U.S., similar to our system, where the president actually gets elected by uh, not uh, uh, you know. 360 million people, but by 278 people, I think you're gonna you're gonna have to prepare yourself for a disappointment. Uh, you know, a lot of people are saying that maybe Biden, because he's so far in the polls, but you know, Trump, uh, you know, Trump is a is a cat with nine lives. I mean, not so long ago, remember, <laughs> but, you know, he survived an impeachment, uh, potential impeachment. So you know, there's not a lot of uh, U.S. presidents that can clearly ever keep that. 
and uh, it's uh, going to have a, a big move uh, for, for markets either way. We were discussing uh, yesterday either the, the Biden basket of shares or the Trump trade, depending on which way you want to position your portfolio for either outcome. Locally, that second quarter unemployment Fast. Can we call it a fast, uh, Carolyn, uh, to say that uh, officially unemployment fell to 23%, while 2.2 million uh, South Africans lost their jobs? Uh, I've been chatting to economists all afternoon, and they're scratching their head at the usefulness of presenting the statistics in this manner when there are clearly anomalies due to the lockdown. Yes, it's a difficult thing because, you know, as they say, aren't using the correct definition um, for this. You know, they're, they're being quite strict about it. Even if you look at unemployment or employment statistics in the U.S., and I've always said, don't look at the top line. Because the top line generally, especially in a very strange environment as we are globally at this point, is exceptionally misleading. It is very, very important to actually scroll down and actually read what is actually in in those statistics. And when you pull away the covers, it's it's actually it's actually frightening. Um, you, you know, there's, there's only 14 million people actually employed in, in the country at the moment. And 2.2 million having lost their jobs, those jobs are not coming back. And there's going to be more added to that by the end of the year. By the end of the year, we're going to have a horrendous unemployment rate. Um, you know, you're looking at an exception of 15 million people, potentially, or less than that, supporting nearly 30, 40 million people. Um, it, is, it, it cannot continue like this. Yeah, the big debate is going to be around universal basic incomes and uh, and how we support those that have lost their jobs. It'll be interesting to see how many, for example, if you look at the, the numbers, as you say, if you peel it away and it reveals the detail underneath, one in four domestic workers lost their jobs during mm-hmm. lockdown. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how um, quickly that rebounds as uh, as we saw uh, the, the the restrictions eased, uh, and that'll obviously come through in later surveys. Uh, just uh, quickly, as we've got a minute to go, Nesson, um, Remgro out with results uh, late yesterday, so we didn't really get to run the rule over them. And uh, it's uh, always interesting to hear what Johan Rupert has to say. Were you on the call this morning? What stood out for you from the Remgro numbers? The thing that stands out for me the most is, and it's it's Remgro, but it's all these, uh, you know, these investment companies, investment holding companies. Even uh, you know, uh, Ethos Private Equity came out early on in the week as well. The discount to NAV, Michael, yeah. is just huge. I mean, Remgro's discount to NAV is what forty percent now, and it averages twenty percent. I don't think there's appetite out there. There's either no appetite or there's just no buyers out there, but. To see the massive discount to NAB, you know, and, and it, it makes you want to buy, but it, it doesn't mean that the discount is going to be close. So for yeah. me, that is the highlight of that number. Yeah, I'll be speaking to the new Joel Stern, David Holland, uh, former MD of Credit Suisse and our co-founder of Fractal Value Advisors and shareholder activist Chris Logan later on uh, about um, these discounts that we're seeing in investment holding companies and also tilting at the windmill of shareholder alignment. Some interesting stuff to come out of the call this morning from Ringbro uh, around uh, making shareholder alignment part of its strategic uh, pillars. Uh, Nessa Nair, Senior Portfolio Manager at Sasson Wealth and Carolyn Kremen, Portfolio Manager at AdviceWorks with your view from the market.